listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning. Uh, if you have not made your way there already, I would encourage you to get out a copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 10, where we will be spending our time this morning. So if you've been journeying along with us, I hope you feel up to speed as we enter in to this text this morning, and hopefully uh, the reading of it already got your mind in the direction we need to go. So for our purposes this morning, these, you know, these past several weeks, we've taken some very uh, specific and intentional time to really break down uh, Romans chapter 9, which has um, some interesting and at times uh, confusing texts and things to mull over. But since we took all that time, now we've got to speed up a little bit. So we are going to uh, get through all of uh, chapter 10 this morning. And so I, I think to set the tone for it, I would just like to read for you again Romans 10, verse 1, because I think it'll set us up for where we are going this morning. Paul writes this. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And so if you uh, can remember the context of Romans 9, we've been talking about this aspect of salvation, of how Paul's been unpacking both the sovereignty of God and how it works itself out in our life specifically in our relationships with people we love in desire to come to a saving relationship with Jesus and the reality that all of us live with is not everyone chooses Christ. And so that can uh, cause angst in our lives. That can cause struggle with understanding how these things work themselves out. But overwhelmingly, the tone of Romans chapter 9, in which continues into Romans chapter 10, is this one of, I, I think Jim used the, the phrase in, in his explanation of compassion and conviction. That we have this conviction about the things of God, about who Jesus is, how our uh, salvation is found only in him. And we have compassion deep within our hearts for the people that we love who have not met Jesus Christ, who have not experienced that saving relationship. And so Paul is reemphasizing that reality. He says, my heart's desire in prayer to God for them. Who is them? He is referencing his countrymen, fellow members of the Jewish nation who have not recognized Jesus as Lord. So his brothers and sisters, his neighbors, his friends, his family, his desire in prayer to God is that they may be saved. And so I think one of the things we need to uh, recognize this morning is that if we are lacking a conviction or compassion for others to meet Jesus Christ, our heart needs to be reoriented as we say before we kick off each service. And so we can just be honest with ourselves, ideally, is that if you are going through life and you are contented to uh, be in the religious setting, to come into the church, and you just kind of feel good about how things are going in your own life, or your own relationship with the Lord, but you are devoid of a desire to see other people meet Jesus and uh, experience the fulfillment of a relationship with him, we need to pray to the Holy Spirit to stir that within us. We need to desire and pray that others would meet Jesus Christ and be saved by a relationship with him. One of the features we get a lot uh, within the book of Romans and um, what we've been covering in Romans chapter 9 is the reality of how people are not saved. 
So Paul's done a lot of corrective work because he is speaking to in, in a religious setting with people who have ideas about what it means to be right with God. So we've talked about that a lot, how uh, the Jewish notion of the law, that they pursued a righteousness that was not based on faith, but on their religious rituals, their uh, religious upbringing, their heritage. And so we have talked a lot about, okay, like this is what it means to not be saved, that you could pursue these religious ends, but the result would not be this right standing with God, which might leave you asking the question like, okay, here's, if that's all the wrong ways to pursue this idea of a right relationship with God, we should ask ourselves, like, okay, how is a person saved? How, how did I end up in this situation where I am receiving the favor of God? That is a good question to ask. And I think that's why we have Romans chapter 10. Paul is going to un unpack the, the positive aspect of how one begins a relationship with Jesus, how we are called into this faith family, because we, we've really um, um, unpacked the reality that it, it's not going to be this idea of works. We can't pursue it based off that. And so that's where Paul is going in Romans chapter 10. And since we're uh, covering the entire chapter, all 21 verses, we're kind of just going to work through it. And some verses are going to get a little bit more emphasis, and, and some we might have to be a bit more brief on to get through us with this morning. But this is what he says following verse 1. Once again, still talking about people who have a religious upbringing but have misunderstood the message of God. This is what he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Let's pause right there. So once again, although it, he has explained it a lot, Paul's just reiterating, re-emphasizing that the reality of our righteousness is not based off of our own works. I mean, we've said that many times at this point, but I think our, our, our humanness is prone to go in that direction that we have to do something special. We have to achieve something in order to enter into this relationship with God. And that's what Paul is saying right here. Like, hey, people had a zeal for it, but they missed the mark because they thought it was dependent upon them. And so he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy right here, Deuteronomy 30. It kind of expounds this idea and it says, um, uh, God proclaiming to the nation of Israel, like, hey, you don't have to go looking for the word of God. So you don't have to do something special. You don't have to achieve it. You don't have to accomplish something to understand, to receive the word of God. So he's saying like, hey, you don't have to go up to heaven. You don't have to go someplace special. You can't take yourself up to heaven anyways. And you don't have to bring Jesus up from the grave. So you do not have to accomplish any of this saving work. God has proclaimed it to you. And so that's what he's talking about right here. This Old Testament reference that they would have understand of God saying like, hey, you don't have to go looking for the word of God. You don't, got it. you don't have to go to a special place or a secret place to go find this treasure. Like God is proclaiming it to you. And this is what he says in verse 8. He says this, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And so if we have um, talked about, thought about, meditated on this reality 
of we are not saved by uh, works or pursuing our own righteousness. So how does this saving work take place in our life? And Paul's giving us some clues right here. He puts this special emphasis on the word of God. God's proclaimed word. And so he's saying in verse seven, six and seven that you, you don't have to go looking for it. It has been brought to you. And that's what verse eight is talking about. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. There is this emphasis on the word of God in the saving work of God throughout the entire world. And this is not a new idea for the Jewish people. And this is something that uh, becomes more evident and more clear in God's unfolding of history. But this is one of the things God said to his people about this reality of the word of God being proclaimed and that being the first step in the saving of God's people. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it out. So Paul is taking this idea that God has proclaimed his word in the world around us. And so that's why Paul is saying this word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. I think that's why the Apostle John picks up this idea in his gospel of Jesus Christ. John 1 begins with the idea that Jesus is the word. He is the message of God that has been uh, proclaimed and gone forth into the world. This message of salvation which should make us realize and maybe connect some dots of why so often when we talk about the message of Christianity, we use this term gospel. We talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is this term we utilize because it is a message. It is news. It is a proclamation of the truth. So I believe what Paul is trying to accomplish right here is showing that the first step in someone's salvation with Jesus Christ is an acknowledgement and understanding of the message of God. The word is near you. The word is in your mouth and in your heart. You don't have to go seeking for it. God sends it to you. God sends his message of truth, his message of salvation. You know, an interesting aspect of, of being a pastor and, and such a joy and a privilege, and it's one of those things that just kind of keeps you in ministry long term, are the times you've been able to, to be with someone when they experience this for the first time. You know, we kind of, we use different terms, you know, you know maybe we, we say we led somebody towards salvation or, uh, you know, we get to share the gospel with them. We get to share about the unconditional love and forgiveness of Jesus and, and ask them if they want to receive that for themselves. And that's been a privilege in my life on, on several occasions of, of just sitting with somebody and explaining this message. But I've had this other experience before. Or maybe I've, I've met with someone who's, who's come into the religious setting and, you know, I'm asking their background, I'm asking kind of questions because I'm trying to kind of figure out, you know, where, where they are in their spiritual journey. Where do they stand with the Lord? And I've had this experience on several occasions where um, I, I, over the course of a conversation, I become convinced that somebody is saved. You know, just based off what they're telling me that like, you know, I think God has done that work. He's, he's accomplished that salvation in their life. 
But depending on their background, they might not have kind of the churchy words we usually attach to this idea of salvation. And that's always an exciting time for me because I, I see the, the word of God uh, just being lived out in somebody's life because somebody might come in and be like, you know, um, I, I don't really know why I'm in church. You know, I didn't grow up in it. This hasn't been a part of my life. But, you know, for some reason, uh, just, you know, a couple of months ago, um, I just desired to start reading the Bible and I just read the Bible and then I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that and I've just ended up in church. And it's so exciting for me as a pastor and as a fellow follower of Jesus to see these realities come forth in somebody's life. That God's word, whether you know how to articulate it or put it in the lingo that we get used to within the church, could be near someone and affect someone and they could internalize it and believe it and be radically changed by a relationship with Jesus and then not even know like how to articulate what has happened. And that's been such an exciting moment for me when I get to kind of explain to somebody like, hey, I think what you're talking about is what Jesus talks about in John chapter three, when it says, if you want to experience eternal life, you have to be born again. So this, this change that you're trying to figure out how to put into words of like, why you used to never care, but then all of a sudden you, you care and you want to do these things that you never wanted to do. It's like, because I think that Jesus has saved you. I think you've, uh, although you might not have known how to put in the words, you've accepted his message that has been proclaimed in all the world. Paul continues, verse nine and 10. He says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you are a person who likes to memorize, I would encourage you to commit Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 to memory. It explains the most important reality in all of our existence, what it means to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And in fact, you know, if you have been around the faith and if you've ever been in the position where you wanted to help someone else understand this gospel, this message of Jesus, the book of Romans is incredibly helpful for that. You know, and we've taken all these weeks to kind of unpack these different realities of Paul's clarification of the gospel. But, you know, sometimes we have those moments where, you know, maybe we don't have six or seven hours to walk through the entire book and point out all the, the histories and different lessons. Uh, there's been this little tool that Christians have utilized for, for decades now that we just call the Roman Road of Salvation. Because it is a succinct way to explain to somebody what we believe uh, the message of God that has gone out into the world that has the power to save people. And so, uh, yeah, once again, you know, I would encourage you to commit portions of the Bible to memory so it's always with you. You know, as the Word of God says, hide it in your heart. Like, keep it with you always. Let it dwell in you richly so that also it, it will be an encouragement to you, but then you will be ready to share with other people who maybe they don't understand, but they have a desire, like God's pulling on their heart. And so, hey, if you got notes or if you're jotting things down, like, uh, I would encourage you to commit these verses to memory. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9 and 10, and Romans 10.13. Like if you've ever struggled, like, hey, I don't know how to explain my faith to somebody else, these will walk you through it. It's a pretty simple progression that can be very helpful in 
explaining to other people what we believe about Jesus Christ. But I love Romans 10, 9 and 10. We get two things interacting here that Paul is talking about. We get both belief, but then we also get action. Let me read it again for you. This is what he says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we get both of those things that are interacting. So one is a, a heartfelt belief, which is something we cannot fake or manufacture. So even if you got the confess with your mouth part, if it is not anchored by an internal conviction about who Jesus is, both of those things have to work in tandem. And in fact, you, you see that all throughout the scriptures. When it talks about belief, it is always um, connected to an action piece. And uh, there might be different ways to define faith because we talk about the reality that it's only faith in Jesus that will save you. And I think that would be a really simple way to grasp this idea of biblical faith. It is belief plus action. You always get those two things in tandem in the scriptures because it does talk about the reality that you could um, believe or, you know, it talks about in the New Testament, even the demons believe in Jesus, but that's not the same thing as a saving faith. So what Paul is describing here in this uh, salvation work that transpires in our life to bring us into relationship with God is an internal belief, a conviction that is marked by external action. Believe in your heart, Confess with your mouth and you will be saved. We get those two things going on together. And it all began with the word of God, the message of Jesus, the proclamation of the truth going out into the world. A little bit later in the passage, Paul actually quotes uh, Psalm 19 that what we would call is um, an idea of general revelation. So Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And so the psalmist is saying the message of God has gone out into all the world. And Paul has already talked about this idea back in Romans 1, talking how we stand condemned that everybody will be held to an account because the message of God has been clearly perceived throughout all people. And so there is this reality that people can know and understand their need for a savior. And so that is part of the word of God going out to the people he created. But then there are those special moments when in the sovereignty of God, our understanding of our need and our understanding of who he is gets united in our hearts and we place our faith in Jesus. This has been called at times by different theologians the effectual call of God. It is the starting point of all of our salvation. I want to put a, a, a little chart up on uh, the screen for you to help us understand this reality. Uh, and just know, like, sometimes uh, this is talked about in different ways, but there is this reality that our salvation brings us into union with Jesus Christ. And so uh, the Puritans used to call this idea the golden chain of salvation. Because as you read through the New Testaments and even some of the writings of Paul that we've already uh, addressed in this study is that there's all these different aspects of our salvation. You know, Paul talked about in Romans 8 that those who God foreknew, he also justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. You might have heard some terms like sanctification and all, all these different aspects of our salvation because there's, it's this incredible work of God bringing spiritually dead people alive in a relationship with him. So there are all these different aspects 
of our salvation, how they all work together in this incredible thing God does with his people to call us to himself. And none of these things are separatable from each other. Like they are linked. This is this work God does. It's kind of this mystery component of how all these things transpire in our life. But the reality is that begins with God calling out to his people and us responding in faith. It's the effectual call of God for us to be joined in him and experience the salvation that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. Skip a little bit down the page. Verse 17, I think, sums up this whole idea. It says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, this idea of word is a unique component of scripture that is used in a lot of different ways throughout the entirety of the narrative of the Bible, but also the idea of hearing has a special emphasis that is sometimes lost on us. And it goes back even to the the Jewish people in Deuteronomy 6. It's what's called the Shema of Israel. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in uh, um, that context, what that word actually means is not just a, um, yeah, I heard you. To hear is to respond. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ God's word is what causes us to come into a saving faith of him. So we should ask ourselves, what gets people to this moment? This moment in the sovereignty of God, when the knowledge pieces and the heart pieces align and our faith gets placed in Jesus and we get forever saved. The second half of this chapter, Paul makes it very clear that those of us who already know Jesus have a responsibility in this work God is doing in the world. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Paul unpacks this progression of what leads someone to the moment of salvation. And it's a pretty beautiful and incredible Thing, and it is a responsibility we bear. So he kind of reverse orders it, but if I could uh, put it in the right progression of what he just says, he says this. He says, sent people, proclaim the gospel, people hear it, believe it, and call on Jesus. That is uh, God's sovereign, ordained method of new people coming to a saving relationship in Jesus Christ. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to go on my first ever mission trip. And I was super excited. I had never been outside the U.S., but I, I signed up for this opportunity, and I was going to get to go my first summer of college. And so um, I, I, I went through this organization called Go Now Missions. They send um, college kids on, on summers all over the world. So I signed up, and I got assigned to go to the country of Kosovo, which I had never heard of, uh, but it was in Eastern Europe, and I was 
excited and getting prepared. And part of that aspect that a lot of you are probably familiar with is the fundraising. And so as a college kid, I didn't have $2,500 to pay for me to go do this summer, but I was excited about Jesus and I wanted to tell other people how they could have a saving relationship with him. And so I was getting prepared. So I was like, getting my friends to do fundraisers with me. I convinced a lot of them. We went and sold blood plasma at this really sketchy place in Grand Prairie. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so in the dorm I lived in uh, on campus, a lot of people knew me as a believer. I helped lead Bible studies in the dorm. I was pretty active evangelistically. And so also kind of coming up on that summer, uh, we had spent this whole year together in the dorms. Uh, a lot of people knew I was going to do this trip. I was very uh, um, active in promoting like, hey, that's what, this is what I'm doing for the summer. I'm going for two months. I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. And I remember there was this uh, guy in the dorm who I didn't know super well. Uh, his name was Okim, and I knew that he had come from Nigeria to come to school in the U.S. Uh, we had played ping pong a couple of times, but other than that, um, we hadn't spent a lot of time together. And he came up to me one day in the dorm and said, hey, Jared, I, I heard you're going on a mission trip. And I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, well, he's like, I, um, I'm a part of this Bible study that meets off campus. Would you come to this Bible study I'm a part of and tell us about your trip? I was like, yeah, absolutely, that'd be so cool. So I went with him uh, to this Bible study and they invited me to kind of share about my trip. There was like seven or eight people there. And so I kind of told him what I was gonna do, how um, I was fundraising, getting ready for this trip. And so when I finished, Okim, who once again, I didn't know very well, he, he got up and he kind of addressed the Bible study. And he said, um, when my dad was a little boy in Nigeria, he had never heard about Jesus. And then one day, Billy Graham came and did an event and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus, and my dad got saved, and that's how I know Jesus. And then he said, if people in the U.S. had never given money to Billy Graham to go to Nigeria, my dad would never have heard about Jesus, and I would never have heard about Jesus, and that's why we need to help support Jared to go on this mission trip. And it was such a clear moment for me of how God calls us into this grand mission into the world to be a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he is orchestrating all of our different lives and stories and abilities and realities and resources so that if we're willing to say yes to any opportunity he puts in front of us, he is going to use that to bring people to this moment where the word of God is in their mouth and in their heart and they call on the name of the Lord, and then they're saved. It's an incredible responsibility God has given us. How are people to call in whom they've never believed, and how are they to believe in whom they've never heard, and how are they to hear unless people are preaching? Sent people proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. People hear it, believe it, and call on him. We are supposed to live as a sent people. You might not have viewed your life in that regard, but that is what Jesus says about your life. It is the language of the New Testament for those who are disciples of him. In fact, Jesus actually makes the statement that says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Paul goes on later to explain it to the church in Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, it says, if God makes his appeal through you, that others would be reconciled to God. That is the role we have in God's saving work in the world. We are a sent people. It is our job to proclaim the word of God so that people can hear it, believe in it, and call on 
Jesus. As it says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Verse 18. But I ask you, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So as Paul is explaining this reality and clarifying the gospel, he is still seeking to make it clear that uh, God is fair in his dealings towards his people. That there is one mode, one means of salvation, whether you have a Jewish background or a Gentile background. It is uh, the word, which is Jesus Christ, and it is faith in him alone that saves us. And so I love, as, as Paul is unpacking this, where, where this chapter um, ends off in, in, in verse 21, he says this. He says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The word of God that has gone out into all the world that we have received and that we have placed our faith in is that it is not that we are an awesome people. It is that God is a gracious God who is merciful and loving and long-suffering and continues to offer himself to his people. So I think there's two realities we can think about this morning. One is maybe you are still on the fence about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That you have been in the religious setting, you have uh, pursued some moral ends, but maybe that idea of faith, of, uh, of placing all your hope, all of your trust, all of your satisfaction in him, maybe uh, that word has still been around your life, but it is not ever united with belief and action for you to enter into that saving work with God. And sometimes in, in that moment, we, we self-disqualify. That, you know, I, I, I've heard it enough times and I said no to it that there's, there's no way the extension, the, the message of grace is still on the table for me. And this is what Paul is saying that, that God says to all his people. He says, all day long I've held out my hands to the disobedient and contrary people. That's how I feel sometimes just about my life every day and the grace and mercy and love I've experienced to God, that I have been a, a, a disobedient and contrary person in my pursuit and faith of Jesus. And when I turn to the Father, he's holding out his hands, extending the love and grace he always has towards me. What an incredible reminder to all of us this morning, whether we have met Jesus or not, that's the message of God, that he, his word has gone out and he is extending himself on our behalf. But on the other side, if, if you do know Jesus, like if you have confidence that that moment has transpired in your life where uh, the word was there and you responded in belief and it, you entered into this relationship with God, it is, it is clear from the scriptures that we have a responsibility that it is God's sovereign, ordained desire for us to participate in the bringing of people to faith in Jesus Christ. We have a role to play. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do people hear? We tell them. We tell them about Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus made this statement when he was looking at people and then um, using an agricultural reference, he says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers are few. It's kind of an indictment of us as people, but we should always remember this. There are more people who desperately want to hear the message of Jesus than people willing to share it. We have a responsibility in God's plan in the world. Let us be a sent people who take seriously um, our role that God has given us to be proclaimers of his word in all the world. Let us be the people with beautiful feet who bring the good news in every situation and circumstance with our neighbors, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our family members. Let us tell them about the good news found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, the pastor uh, Spurgeon in, in England back in the 1800s, he just had a, a turn of phrase like few others. So he gets quoted a lot. And there's this Spurgeon quote uh, that always has just kind of stuck with me because uh, it uh, just evokes an image of how we should have compassion on those who are proceeding through life without a relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to read this quote, and this is where we will leave off this morning. He said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Romans 10 verse 1 says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for the eternal word. We thank you for Jesus, for your message of salvation that you have made clear to us how it is not our own righteousness, but your righteousness you give us when we believe in Jesus Christ. God, I ask for all of us that you would stir a compassion and conviction in our hearts for those who do not know Jesus. God, let it burden us so that we would desire it, that we would pray for it, God, and when given the opportunity, we would proclaim it. God, we ask, I'm sure there are so many names and faces that come to mind when we think about those who don't know you. God, and I don't know all the names that would come to people's minds, but you do, God. So I ask in the name of Jesus that you would save those that are on our hearts. God, that you would use us in their lives to be proclaimers of the truth. God, we ask for miracles to take place, for people's hearts to be softened to your gospel, that people who have rejected and turned away would be brought in. God, thank you for the promise of your word given to your people, that your word will not return void but will accomplish what it was set out for. God, I ask that you use us, that we would be a, a link in somebody's chain of, of their story of encountering you and experiencing your grace and forgiveness and purpose. 
God, let us be faithful in proclaiming you to those who don't know you. Ask this in the name of Jesus Christ.